Hi everyone, it's Jamie. I just want to share with you that my new book, Toxic Relationship Recovery, is available now. This book is for anyone who is healing after a harmful relationship, but it's also for people that are looking to identify toxic traits, toxic behaviors, and toxic strategies that get used upon people every single day. The second half of the book teaches you strategies to heal your inner voice and find your authentic self after experiencing this type of harm. I'm looking forward to you all reading it and hearing your feedback from it. It's available today. Find Toxic Relationship Recovery wherever you buy books. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are, and exploring who we are becoming. Hello. Hi, guys. Yeah, so we are in the same room again. We're here, live, in the flesh, in person. Watch, listen to this. Ready? Give me a five. That was me and Jamie's hand high-fiving. For real. That was not me clapping. That was us actually high-fiving. And I'm sure our producer is so excited <laughs> to edit this audio because we do have a tendency to talk over each other when we're in the same room. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be so good. We're gonna be mindful of this conversation to make his job not a nightmare. Okay. So one of the things that is coming up that's really exciting for us is our year anniversary of this podcast. I can't believe it came so fast. I can't believe we've been doing this for almost a year. Our next episode is going to be our like year anniversary episode. It's, it's crazy. It's amazing. And I think it's, a, I think it's going to fall around the 50th episode and this one's episode 49. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking about ways to kind of, you know, embody different topics around, you know, accomplishments, joy, just what it what does it mean to have trauma and experience mm-hmm. joy? So we did some brainstorming, and one of the topics we're going to discuss today, we're going to discuss a couple of different things, but we're going to talk about what it feels like to experience joy and experience pride and accomplishments with trauma <laughs> <laughs> and how complex it gets. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the barriers that come up when we are trying to claim beauty in our life, joy in our life, real connection, authentic connection, unadulterated, untainted connections that we can trust, all of these things. So trauma absolutely does get in the way of those things. And we wanted to kind of break down some of that in the beginning, but then obviously we wanted to kind of walk you through the episode where we can really talk about the counters and the barriers that come up so you guys can access joy and you can experience unadulterated play and fun and connection with other human beings. And it doesn't have to feel like a trap. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to feel mm-hmm. like a weapon. You don't have to wait for the ball to drop. Mm-hmm. It's actually crazy how complex this issue is because right. I feel like somebody who maybe hasn't lived through a lot of trauma or like tried to heal through a lot of it or 
experienced it could hear us introducing this topic or even just like talking about it and be like, oh yeah, like when you have trauma, it's so hard to experience joy and allow yourself to accept that into your like reality. And people go like, but wouldn't you, if your life hurts all the time, wouldn't you like embrace any opportunity to feel good, right? Whether that's play or happiness or somebody, you know, like praising your work or whatever, like, wouldn't you like love that? Cause it's like, oh, finally, like I get something that feels good in my life instead of all the pain of what I'm like carrying and living through each day as a person healing from and like dealing with trauma. And this is why it's so interesting and complicated. We kind of touched on this before of like, we had an episode called why do I crave chaos? And that episode sort of touches on it. So um, if you haven't listened to that one, that might be a good like, we'll link it either like follow up <laughs> or if you want to stop now and listen to that one first. Um, it's it's a related topic. And it talks about how like, well, our brains and our nervous systems basically just like adjust to and default to whatever environment. We're very adaptable, right? Like humans are highly adaptable. And so like if we adapt to grow in an environment that is harsh and cold and scary and painful, then that's all we know. Mm. And then when we are presented with the opportunity to interact with something that's totally different than that, that feels warm and safe and loving and enjoyable and free of pain, it's almost as if like we don't have like an onboarding system in place to know what to do with that like data that's coming in. Like we're receiving this like positive feedback or a positive like sensory experience or whatever. And our bodies are like, what do we do with this? Where do we put these feelings? Because we're only used to dealing with the pain and the struggle and, you know, the survival and all of these other types of things that are sort of integrated into our lives because of trauma. And all of a sudden now we're like, no, but here's something that feels good. Here's laughter. Here's play. Here's a, a song that you love. Here's somebody giving you a warm, heartfelt hug. Here's, you know, these just like really great things. And you're just sitting there like, okay, this is strange. I don't know what to do with this information. Where do I put it? Mm. And it, it it's some, I like how you described some of it is through the processor, right? What is going on in the processing of that experience? And when you don't feel like you have a structure to put that information, it's absolutely, I mean, obviously it can be confusing, but it also can just outrightly be like, oh, almost like a warning, like, I don't like this feeling, right? In the brain, mm. even though it's like, why would you not like to be hugged? Or mm. why would you not? And obviously we have sensory stuff, but it's these ideas of like, why would this feel so scary mm -hmm. to be authentically bonded to or authentically connecting to a moment? And so like CA said, the whole, why do we crave chaos? It's almost like the, I don't want to say it's the opposite of that episode, but it's almost like how does joy become a barrier for people like how is it mm. actually a, a mechanism in certain people's lives where they're actually like scared to experience it right. not like I'm going to go and seek the opposite of it which mm -hmm. absolutely can happen in trauma and that's what that episode's about but we're talking about in this episode like when we are experiencing like authentic connection true kindness real joy amazing like you know out of the blue play kind of thing. It's 
interesting because this is where I think I can speak a little to like some of my own personal story is with my experience with joy, one of the things that happened was I would get a lot of connection where joy plus me would be on the other, like the equal sign would be loss. Mm -hmm. So I created a lot of connection where like you experience too much joy Mm -hmm. and then you add yourself into that equation and you start integrating that joy. You absolutely have to expect you will be in grief or loss or even like just this very visceral, almost like the rug getting pulled out from under you and you don't want that feeling. So it's better for you to just not lean too much into this joy. Like don't be too Mm -hmm. present to this joy. Don't be too bonded to that person. Don't be too connected because if you are, Mm -hmm. you sometimes it's a trust thing. Like we talk about building the relationship with your trust, like with yourself. It's like, I don't feel prepared for that level of like, breath getting taken out of our lungs, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. in order to avoid that feeling of the rug getting pulled, you go, okay, I'll feel a little joy. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll give myself a little bit of experience of this. And if it gets too real, I have to walk away. Or if it gets too close Mm -hmm. to feeling real and not something that could be like weaponized or in another trauma part of my brain, I have to, I, I not only it's not only unfamiliar, but it's incredibly uncomfortable. Well, you would, you would at that point start logging it as an active threat. Sure. It's literally like the joy is a setup for Mm. your next trauma. Mm. That's what it starts to feel like. Oh, okay. So I'm falling in love with this person or I'm falling in love with myself. I'm, I'm loving this version of myself Mm. or I'm falling in love with this hobby or whatever it is. I am like, getting so much positive feedback from this thing. And then if that's a part of your trauma, if you have experienced loss in certain ways, that like (laughs) default system is set up there to tell you, warning, warning, when you love things, they go away, right? Whether that was a betrayal or an actual death or a breakup or whatever it was, like, don't, don't get too attached because then you're going to feel that pain again. Remember, like that's what the trauma brain does. It tries to protect us from having to experience that same pain again. And so it's looking everywhere. It's like a, it's like a highly alert alarm system. That's like constantly looking for something that might potentially lead to that similar type of pain that we have survived. And it doesn't want us to ever have to go through again. And so that's why it has this like protection shutdown mechanism of don't get too close because if you do, then you're going to lose that person or you're going to lose that job or that hobby. And then you'll be so devastated and you'll have to feel that pain, like what happened to you in the past. So that's a, that's definitely one of the main like barriers to being able to fully embrace. I have a couple other ideas, but maybe before we move on to a couple of other of those barriers, why don't we just speak directly to it right now? Like, what's a way to overcome this particular one? Like, how do we move out of that fear and that trauma response mechanism that's in place to protect us? Yeah. I mean, when we think about what are the overarching themes here, 
sometimes it's about like trying to understand what the themes are. And if you can understand what the themes are, you can kind of untangle where are some of the barriers, right? So like we have the fear of theme, or sorry, we have the theme of fear. We have the theme of like our relationship with joy. And then I also look at our relationship with authenticity and how that creates a norm, a norm in our, in our processing. Right. So when you're like, what could we do to target it? Truly, I would say it's about catching the protection and catching the like theme that's arriving, whatever it is. So for example, it could be fear. I also think this, it's not just, it sounds so clear cut when I say fear. I also think that's even more like more complex because if you like actually go underneath the fear, a lot of people are like, well, the way I keep the protection up is I just create like almost a barrier where people don't really get to tap into who I am. Mm -hmm. Like I get to bond with them and yeah, I get to feel some joy with them. But at the end of the day, if I feel too close to them, I have to emotionally create that protection, which means they basically get to tap into who I am, but not like the fullness of who I am. So they're really not going to tap into that authenticity. Neither am I. Mm. And so like, do you see how it's a little more complex than fear? Like it's fear, but then what's actually underneath that is like, what is the protection actually look like? And the protection for some people are like, well, I mean, let's do relationships. It's easier in an example, but like with the relationship, it's like, well, I can get close to that person, but I can't love them too much. Right. Because everybody in my life that I've loved fully and unadulterated and with complete freedom has either hurt me, they've passed away, they've died, they've weaponized the relationship I have. Mm-hmm. So I can acknowledge that you don't have any of those attributes, CA, mm-hmm. right? And there's never a pattern that I saw you starting to do any of that. And there's right. no reason to think you're going to die tomorrow, right? Like right. all of these things are like actually right. lining up as a pattern of like, it might actually be safe, Jamie, for mm. you to allow this human to actually like fully bond with you, like mm-hmm. in a way that they get to know you yeah. for who you are, right? And so when we talk about what are some steps here, I think we have to kind of go into some of the themes you hear in our podcast. It's like you have to ask yourself at some point, some of this trauma healing is realizing that like to be fully human is to understand that the pain of connection is, is like in a deep interwoven complex relationship, the pain of connection, the pain, it's like, what are you talking about, Jamie? The pain of connection. It's like literally a part of the both and of joy, (laughs) bond, love, is that at some point of that spectrum, you are having to radically accept that they could die tomorrow. Hmm. I mean, I know that like CA is never giving me any indication that she's going to magically manifest into someone who's going to weaponize our relationship, right? So like that's not what I'm going to bring up in this example. But I hear this a lot when people have like, trauma around grief or trauma around loss. And it's not always loss of like death. It's sometimes loss of like, I, my friend moved away and I never talked to her again. Right. And I literally never realized I didn't, I didn't get to grieve that friendship. Right. And so then people now are in new friendships and they're like, I'm scared to get close. She could move. 
Right. Like, why mm-hmm. would I ever bond with someone in this city? Mm-hmm. And I hear this. Like, this is actually a thing I hear in my work. Like, people will be like, why don't I, why would I even bother Jamie? Like, why, I, I met her at the coffee shop. Yeah, we exchanged numbers. But mm-hmm. I, it's kind of a waste of my time to bond with her. And if I untangled that with one of my clients and I got her to act, her or him or whatever mm-hmm. who it is, um, if I got them to get to a wound of like, there is no point to bond with friends because they could die, they can move, or they could weaponize it. And I go, well, then you never get to experience real friendship. Mm-hmm. You don't. And so what we talk about is what is the targeted strategy? It's like untangling that deep wounded connection that says you don't get to be close to people because there is some floating factor of their own autonomy, Mm. which is, yeah, see, you could get another job and you can move. Like you're right. But here, let me just sit as a testament. Okay. Me and CA for the most of our adult friendship haven't been near each other. And this is where I think people underestimate the power of connection is that we haven't ever even when we were in the same state we were never neighbors we always had to fight to get like close to each other whatever and I've known her for what 25 I don't know 20 something years yeah 22 22, years and Mm -hmm. like I sit there and I go I absolutely could have lost her but when you open yourself up to an authentic friendship and you say hey I know you're moving and I know it's every reason for us to lose connection I'm prioritizing this bond. I'm prioritizing Mm -hmm. this joy. I'm prioritizing our connection. And it doesn't have to be like almost, it doesn't have to basically be placed in your life and be like, so this is just an affirmation that you're never going to be able to bond with someone, right? We can, if we go back to the old episodes where we talk about, I could use that example of like, see, everyone I love moves. Right. Or mm-hmm. I could look at it as an opportunity of, hey, I have more skill sets than I had when I was 12. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same 12-year-old or 15-year-old girl or whatever girl that, you know, my friend moved away from college. I actually have so many more skill sets to maintain deep, connected yeah. bonds that do bring so much to my life. And if I looked at it through a very trauma brain lens, I would think, see? just another proof that I never get to have real people in my life. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, hold on, this is heartbreaking because I love my friend and she's moving away. Validate it. Yeah. And (laughs) acknowledge, acknowledge Mm -hmm. that you are not the same girl that went through some of these issues when they were younger you have more skills, you have more, you have things more accessible to you. Right. And this is what I mean by like, yes, we're talking about joy, but it's also like this deep relationship with yourself of like, when you tell yourself those narratives that actually starts manifesting more dynamics. Cause it's like, now, if I said to CIA, I go, okay, it's just proof that I shouldn't even bond with people because, you know, I was friends with you for a few years. You we're in the same city as me. Now you're moving a couple of states over and why even bother? Mm -hmm. Right. And if Mm -hmm. I kept using that as the foundation, I don't get to experience real bonds or joy or connection. Well, and that's, what's hard is like you end up 
perpetuating the cycle of what you were saying, right? Like you end up like manifesting more of that same energy and that same dynamic by like basically like playing out a script. And that's, Mm. that's what trauma does. Like it has a script and it wants it to be played out because it's what's familiar and it's what you know. And so if you play that script out, then yeah, that is what's going to happen. Like if, if I move away and you go see my friends leave and it's not worth keeping up with anybody because then they just leave and then you don't keep up with me and then you lose me as a friend. And then now you've got more evidence in the Mm -hmm. tank for that's my narrative. That's my trope. That's what happens to me. Right. Over and over and over again versus like taking the active steps to create a new narrative. And so that almost like goes into another episode we did is like, yes, there is an old narrative and there is a default that wants to present itself. And we have the choice of whether or not we want to interact with that one and Mm -hmm. say, sure, let's tell that story again. Let's read that script again. Or you can say, Ashley, that script sucks. (laughs) I'm going to try another one. And I don't know if it's going to work. Honestly, I don't even know if this new script is going to work, but at least it's something different. I already know how that one's going to play out and I don't really like it. So why don't I just try something different? Even if it doesn't work, like at least I created a different story or a different narrative this time around. Right. And now here's the other thing I wanted to bring up and it's sort of related to this. And in other cases, it's, it's its own sort of standalone barrier, which is something inside of us that tells us we don't deserve good things. Sure. We aren't worthy in some way or we haven't earned it it's selfish to pursue or seek or even accept (laughs) joy and good things and accomplishments and all of these sort of things that we've talked about. Like there in a lot of us is that voice that says, who are you? Who do you think you are? Mm. And you know, we can sit here and try to, (laughs) we have a lot of listeners, so I'm sure there's as many different stories out there as there are human beings that are behind those listening ears, right? Of how that voice got there for you. I think like to a certain degree, like we live in a society that is weirdly like sort of systemically set up in a way that like criticizes people like embodying (laughs) their joy and embodying like being proud of their work or like having a good day like I don't know what it is like we like fetishize like the struggle in a way right like it's like easier for us to talk about how shitty our day is versus like when your friend calls you up or your coworker is like oh my god you can't believe this amazing thing that happened to me we're like this is odd like why are they talking about like happy like it's like it's like we have like a, like a weird almost like societal like fetishization of the mm. struggle and then there's many more layers beyond that right so there's a lot of like some there can be a religious layer where suffering is fetishized and you're not allowed to claim your own joy you have to assign that joy to you know a deity like this deity blessed me and so therefore that's the only person that gets to like claim like I don't get to claim this joy for myself I didn't like this joy isn't mine. I give it to the, you know, I'm going to give it to the the God or the deity or whatever. That's a layer. And then there can be a layer of like, if you were raised in a household that was very like emotionally or verbally abusive and you were 
all, you were put down a lot and, you know, degraded and nobody, you know, like cared about your accomplishments or if you had an accomplishment, it was like an active like trigger for your, you know, abuser or caregiver person was like, like took that as, you know, a negative and like put you down for it. And like that phrase that I use that, like, who do you think you are phrase is a phrase that a lot of people unfortunately grew up with. Sometimes that sort of voice can even come from an intimate partner. If this happened to you, like, and you were in sort of like a relationship with somebody who also put you down in those ways. So like, that's what I mean. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of places where we can develop that internal sense of I'm not allowed to feel joy. I'm literally not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. And I, if I do experience it in any way, I have to somehow or another justify it either by saying I earned it or by like spreading it or like assigning that joy to somebody else instead of the self, right? And saying, oh, well, like it's just because so-and-so, you know, like God, God blessed me in this way or my neighbor (laughs) did this work or instead of, or like, it wasn't me. It was my coworker. They, they deserve all the credit, right? Like there's like some like part of you that's like, I can't claim this. Like mm. I have to somehow like give the credit to somebody else or I'm uncomfortable, right? Or if you do claim it, it's, you know, something you have some sort of justification set, set up of like you earned it, right? So if you're going to go on vacation, it's, it's because, you know, you you got to like put in like whatever arbitrary thing right. makes sense to you. You're going to put in like 50 hour work weeks so that you can justify sitting down and relaxing for four hours that weekend. Like, but if you didn't put in that type of work week, you're not going to let yourself relax that weekend. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is another huge barrier. It's kind of like this internal, how do we convince ourselves that joy and relaxation and connection and rest and happiness and like good things in life are ours to claim. Mm. And we don't have to like justify it or push it off. Right. And I think what's interesting here is this is where I think it goes into like a greater narrative where some of this is like in our families in our religions in our workplaces, you know, in our friendships and our partnerships. But then I even expanded more where I think like, sadly, I think our culture benefits from us feeling guilty for actually connecting with our lives, like actually being present and conscious in our life. And so when we are having that moment of, hey, I know my time's more valuable this is me needing to have a conversation about compensation with my job or, Hey, my time is more valuable. I don't want to waste it in a relationship. That's not actually life giving. Mm -hmm. Hey, my time is valuable. Hey, my joy is worth it. Like all of these things, it doesn't work well for our culture because now that means people are actually seeing not only their power, but their value and when they see their value and they actually have the skill set to advocate for their value, I can't exploit you easily, <laughs> right? Like I benefit from you not seeing any reason to entertain joy. Mm-hmm. I benefit from you not claiming your successes, from you undermining your mm-hmm. efforts, from mm-hmm. you undermining your power. And this is what I mean by like these systemic toxic and yeah. trauma narratives is that 
Yes, this can happen in all of those nuances that I just explained, like all of those like categories. But when we look at culturally why this can happen, whether or not you have like massive like historical trauma incidents or complex issues, or you're like, hey, I think I haven't even experienced like what some of what Jamie just said, but like I know what she's talking about. Like I didn't mm-hmm. even have parents that shamed yeah. my accomplishments, but I feel guilty asking for a raise. I didn't even have a friend that said I was a piece of crap, but I feel guilty when I enter into that. Like it's, do you see what I'm saying? So it's like, mm-hmm. remember, we don't have to go witch hunting for like the sure. incident that yep. caused this in your brain because sometimes conveniently it wasn't a one-off incident. It was a very almost like you know in the 70s when they had the what do they call that music in the 70s where there was a subliminal message it was almost like a subliminal message that was infiltrating the back of our brains throughout our lifetime all the little ways that we were interacting in our workplace or in our own personal lives I mean you see it in every facet like a woman does amazing job or a man does oh you know we can't gotta give credit where credit's it's like you not owning and claiming Mm -hmm. your own goodness and your own value is to me actually a it's a perfect storm to continue to feel like exploited or continue to be actually in some kind of oppressed role because it's like well you don't get to feel Mm -hmm. that good Exactly. <laughs> you don't get to feel that good, CA. It's like, but who says that? Yeah. I and this is this is what I mean is it's like this is where like I can speak to my personal story of like, yeah, I have like some of those particular like trauma points in my own past as to like what informed that voice in my head. And I when we talk about like how do we how do we overcome this? Like how did I ever convince myself to override that voice and allow myself to experience ease and like I can't get emotional talking about it because Mm. this one's like really real for me and it's um I think it's like one of the hardest things I ever had to learn to do was to like actually embrace (laughs) just ease and comfort and joy because I was like so steeped in like, I'm so good at grit. I'm so good at survival. I'm so Mm. fucking good at it that like, why do I need to shift out of that? Was what, like that was a place I was in for a very, very long time of like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, Jamie can speak to this. Like, how many freaking times did you hear me say that? Right? Like, and I was like, I wasn't lying. I was fine. But there was a point where I just had to ask myself, like, is fine all there is for me? Is that is that all I get? Is just fine for my whole life, or am I allowed to have even just like an ounce more? And that is when I speak to skill set here. That's how it started for me. And maybe that's where I would say to start for you guys, if you're in a similar situation, it's like, I, cause I believe me when I tell you, I know how hard this one is to overcome. So I started with an ounce more. Maybe I could see what life would be like if I gave myself just an ounce more joy. 
an ounce more ease and see how that feels and see if I'm capable of integrating that and how that feels for me and what that shifts around for me in my life. Mm. And an ounce, you know, becomes a pound and a pound becomes whatever comes next. I'm not good at measurements. I should have done the liquid one. I'm better at the liquid measurements. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's like, you know, you have to almost, you got to that place of feeling unworthy of experiencing joy and ease. You got to that place as a slow boiling frog, like the subliminal messaging system that like mechanisms that Jamie was talking about, that was a slow boil. And it's almost as though like to access the reverse, you almost have to slow boil yourself in the reverse Mm -hmm. as well. So you have to just like literally slowly start letting yourself like when you experience a spark of joy, as scary as it like feels, you just let it happen and you accept it and you embrace it and you you can you know just let it like let yourself feel it and different people you know like express that in different ways like for some people that's like a physical expression like uh, you know, you clapping or you're smiling or whatever. And for other people, they they can't wait to like share that little moment of joy with somebody that's close to them. For other people, they might turn that into a journal entry or a piece of art or whatever. Some people just like take a picture. Um, right. I was just talking yeah, about this recently. This. Um, shout out Elise Myers. Um, out, she had this great video recently about how she started just like taking pictures mm. of like little moments where she in that moment was feeling joy. And like, looking back on those pictures and seeing how like beautiful and small and simple those moments are like, that's a really great method to kind of like document and like, just allow yourself in like, so we're not talking about like climbing Mount Everest overnight guys. Like this is a hard one to overcome. So like to just even let yourself experience for a brief moment and like really just let it infiltrate and say, wow, like that felt so good to, get that hug or accept that compliment from that person or, you know, accomplish whatever, whatever it is for you, right? Like to just let yourself slowly start accepting and infiltrating and integrating that joy and that ease into your life and being patient with yourself. Like as Mm. you start to create those new patterns and sometimes mantras help or yeah, like affirmations. Like, yeah, you, so you like, can take over. Yeah, at this so point. this yeah. is one of those things where I think, as we were talking, you know, when we try to give you guys some actual concrete skill or you know navigation around this, it's it is important. Obviously, you can come up with something that might you know anchor down or get you to kind of just expand that awareness or at least familiarity with feeling joy. Like it might feel kind of painful in the beginning when you're feeling joy. That's what's so interesting is like, we're not trying to be like, Hey, let's keep feeling pain, but it's like, (laughs) Hey, notice that you're feeling joy and notice what the body kind of wants to do with that feeling. And then the mind might kind of go along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. when we're talking about how would we maybe like navigate, right? It's like, oh, we're in a ship and there's a little bit of a rocky thing and we can kind of go one way or another. And it's like, this is what I mean by navigation. It's like your brain will be like, hey, default self is going to be like fear, move, rejection, like, you know. But when we have strategies on the other end, right? They're new, they're slow developing, they take time, it takes patience. But when we actually 
have something on the other side that's not just, oh, the only default is rejection, right? If we say, well, it's mm-hmm. not always rejection. Now we have something, and this is what I'm saying, it can be an affirmation, it can yep. be a saying. But one of my words, and this is not a lie. I mean, people are like, you know how, you know, people who have pot, they might just like make something up on the fly or the radio. I'm like, no, this is actually real. So my word for 2023 was and is receive. And that came from a lot of reflection on ways my trauma shows up through not allowing and blocking things to be received. So when CA is talking about what does this look like in everyday life, right? It's like I might be sitting down at my table, you know, and I, and this is what's funny. It's the way you phrase things. I might have been like, oh, I spent like one extra dollar on that really yummy creamer, right? And many people will be like, that was foolish. You should have gotten like the cheapest of the cheapest creamer. Like you don't deserve that. And it's like, I know we're talking about little things, but this is what I mean by like, first of all, the narrative around you being able to experience something that brings you joy, like something small, like creamer. It's $1 more, right? Okay. So it starts there, but then now you sat down with the cup of coffee and now you did use the creamer that makes your heart a little happy, right? (laughs) And as you're drinking it, you're noticing a connection's happening, a feeling of like calm or what CA is talking about, ease or, okay, I feel with myself for a moment, Mm -hmm. right? And this is why I give you guys the visual of like bonding with this deep wounded relationship that occurs in a lot of trauma brains is like you're sitting with yourself for a moment and sometimes that self says I'm here with you like I'm here do you feel that do you feel that this is real and I'm connected with you and if I looked at that self and said I don't have time to feel this I have emails to you know I run my own business CA has her whole like everything she's doing like she has her business she has everything going on we have every reason in the world to not connect with that feeling, right? And so if you, this is why I embody it for so many people. I go, you're sitting in a room with someone that looks over at you, reaches their hand out and says, this is just like a really nice moment of just like feeling seen and like honored. And I love that you were able to just connect with yourself. And I reach out and I put my hand out and I go, I don't have time for this. Mm. I don't have time. This is a luxury. And that self is like, do we not get to like experience joy? Do we not get to experience kindness? Like we don't get to experience self-kindness. You just mean to tell me you worked for like four years on that doctorate and you're not going to sit there and actually claim the hard work you did? Like Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing out examples here, people. Mm -hmm. But like Mm -hmm. that happens. Oh, yeah. People will be like, oh, "Oh, you know, I can't take credit for that. My mentor was the one. It's like, dude, you just worked your ass (laughs) off. Like sit there for a moment and understand what you just did to the relationship you have with yourself. If there was someone in that room that wasn't you that had worked their ass off for four years and you looked at them like a fucking abuser and said, none of that fucking mattered. You don't get to sit here on your high horse. Mm -hmm. You don't get to flaunt your degree or quote are good for you oh like you, good for you're you. A, you and all the other doctors yeah like, like you're the only one yeah it's a you're freaking drop in the bucket like you don't matter to the world mm. could you imagine if that voice 
was sitting at the table with you and say, how fucking, I'm getting emotional. Cause like, how fucking dare you like experience and claim yourself. And that's why I take this so seriously. And it definitely hits me and CA so hard is because when you actually take this seriously and say, I refuse, I refuse to enter, expand and elevate that energy. Mm. I know it's there that that voice does arrive at the table occasionally, but I refuse to entertain it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look around and say, what other voices are here with me? Is there another, is there another narrative here with me? And if you Mm. look around and some of that is built on a skill, it's like, Hey, remember we talked about like receiving, like, what does it feel like to feel the power? Like, does it feel like if there was a friend that said, what does it feel like to just absorb like how much work you just did? And you're looking at that friend and you're like, it's scary, but it feels so good. I gotta say it. Like it feels so good. And they're looking at you and they're holding their hand and they're like, I feel it too. And you're so amazing. And I'm so, I'm so excited that this, this moment came for you. Right. And that energy being inside of yourself Mm. is so transformative. It's so transformative. And that's why I take this seriously. As I go at the end of the day, many people, have that voice that says, good for you. That's great. Oh, okay. Miss Flaunter stuff or whoever you think you are. Right. Mm. And I sit there and I go, when we talk about countering that, mm. yes, I could sit here and just spill, spill a bunch of affirmations and, you know, Some of them are great, but what I'm saying is it has to be kind of your own thing. So Mm -hmm. I use the word receive, but it's only to remind me that for so many years of my entire life, I block receiving. I do. It is a problem for me. I know I do. I block receiving. I do not allow energy to be received. Why? Probably because I get uncomfortable receiving, probably because it makes me feel like I should be shameful of my accomplishments. Like these are very real things for me. So that's why it's my word of the year because I sit there and I go, I struggle with receiving and that is part of my responsibility to untangle. And if I do not untangle it, what voice arrives at the table? Yeah. When you're talking about the um, affirmation thing, I wanted to share another little uh, tidbit that I'm, I'm just like, I'm just spreading around the internet here today for you guys. I don't remember where this is the source of, so I'm sorry about that. But um, I also recently heard this one. This is another really good one. Okay. I was going to touch on this. Um, so affirmations, right? Like I am worthy. I deserve joy. Like even that is like actually inaccessible for a lot of people. Oh like I could sit there all day long and say that. Like when I was in my like more like survival mode trauma space, I could say that all day long and it not infiltrate me. Like even a, even a millimeter into my consciousness, I'd be like, whatever. Like it's just words. Like I didn't believe it. Right. So like I'm just saying sounds out of my mouth. Like it's meaningless. Like it's not connecting in any way. So like if you're in that space, this was like a suggestion. And this is I think I almost like said it even when I was talking about my story and like how I like slowly started to invite this more into my life. And we talk about this a lot. This is a huge like value system of mine is curiosity Mm -hmm. to meet things with curiosity. 
So instead of saying the affirmation, I deserve joy, you ask it as a question and you say, what if I deserve this joy? And you ask yourself the question and it's just a possibility. And that way, like it gives your brain, like it's more like possible for the brain to entertain it because you've almost given it an out, the out being it's like default setting is that you're not worthy of joy. Right. And so if you like tell your brain, like, okay, that could still be like, maybe you do still come to that conclusion. Like I'm not taking that off the table, but I'm just going to put another option on the table for you to curiously look at. Mm. And sometimes that's like a good way to slowly also start overcoming that. Like, what if I was allowed to be proud of this doctorate? What if I deserve to be loved by this person? What if I'm allowed to take a nap on a Sunday? And you just start asking yourself the question curiously, like, what if? Like, what if I did do that? What if I could do that? What if that was a possibility for me? And that's truly like, that's actually the mechanism that I used as I started with that curiosity of like, what if I just let myself feel a little bit of ease in this moment instead of like bullying myself in my brain about Mm. this, you know, like a particular thing that came up. Like, what if I just decided to believe a nicer voice and I'm just going to try it and we're going to see what happens. And yeah, like it was scary and weird and awkward a lot of the times, like what is going on? Like, again, because that's kind of how I started this episode, like there wasn't like a built in onboarding mechanism for like how to actually receive that type of data. But I built it. I built it in real time. And like, that's what's tricky about Mm. creating new neural pathways Absolutely. when you're already living in a brain that has these other neural pathways. It's like we've talked about before, you're building the ship while you're already on the water. And it's like, it can be like really complex to do that work. But so that was one of the suggestions that I wanted to, to get was like going at it, like through the lens of curiosity. I mean, and then one other thing I want to make sure while we're wrapping up to talk about is like, when we talk about our relationship with that voice, and we talk about the relationship with self and a lot of people are like, well, that is my voice. Like that is the relationship I have with myself. It's that bully. It's that like cruel, critical lens. And I absolutely put my foot. I'm like, y'all, like if there's ever going to be a revolution that happens inside of your psyche, it is absolutely from looking at that voice and absolutely acknowledging that that is not Mm -hmm. the authenticity inside of you. That is not a self that is just like the deep, that that is not like, oh, that's who I am, right? And so if you can actually sit with that voice, this is why I was saying if we create a mechanism, Mm -hmm. go back to that table, right? Yeah. There's the voice that's very cruel about the accomplishment. And then you're noticing, you might have not noticed like in the beginning, but you're starting to notice there's another person next to you, right? And that's the one that we were talking about countering some of it. Mm -hmm. Well, remember that voice is going to be timid, shy. It's not going to have a lot of power in the beginning. And the other voice, which is going to probably feel like you. Mm -hmm. And many people, the way they get trapped is they actually go and sit in that chair and they go, this is who I am for the rest of my, this is who I am. This is who I am for the rest of my life. Right. And so Mm -hmm. when you embody that narrative as your like, complete integrated self how do you because now when I ask you to separate you're like that's who I am right and now I'm asking you to sever that and I'm like well we're not actually 
asking you to like cut pieces out of you. Yeah. But we are asking you to be very acknowledging that if you claim that as who you are, that is where we're going to create massive barriers to product, like productive work. Because if I'm like, okay, you're sitting at that table, right? So remember, there's three embodied energies. There's the critical voice, the curious voice, and you in the middle trying to understand which one is going to be given energy to, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're saying, I am the critical voice, right? Mm -hmm. There is no other option Right. Other than to keep going into that that voice. Right. And so if you want a strategy here, one of the things that I think is powerful is not only actually with the visualization, I know some people aren't visual learners, but if you can do it, do it with like a, write it down, right? Like write it down, do a picture, do like three different individual stick figures or something, (laughs) like whatever it takes to get this, to make sure it's more concrete in your brain. Mm -hmm. Create those three different energies. And one of them is a critical energy. One of them is a curious energy. And you are the observer energy. You are the observer. You're noticing and you're trying to see where it's going. And so when I when I use strategy here, this is like one that you could actually like use. You could say you're at the table and you're noticing that voice is getting super loud super activated. Who do you think you are? Oh, you wanted to take a nap today? Oh, okay. I see in all the, you know, you don't get to experience that, right? Like all these things. If you are the observer now and you are not that voice, you asking the question, I wonder, I wonder why it's so upsetting for us to rest. I wonder why it's so scary for you to be close with someone. I wonder why it's very, very tension-filled when we get an award. I wonder, right? And so that's that, that's that prompt. Like when CA is talking, like when we talk about the prompts, like I wonder, but notice, obviously you can do it on the curious end. It's like, I'm wondering why, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like we're just going to ask, but what that starts doing is notice when you ask, I wonder, you're not in that embodied self. You're actually in the other side of it. Exactly. It's a different voice. You're It's like an active development of a different voice because the I in that question isn't this yes. bully person over here. It's a different mm-hmm. I that you're like actively developing that separated voice and you can be in like a different embodiment of, right? If you've always identified yourself as I am that person, yeah. all of a sudden you hear yourself talking, not in that voice anymore. Mm-hmm. You're using a different voice. You're going, I wonder why you're saying that to me. I wonder why you're telling me I'm not allowed to rest. And now you're literally like engaging this entity as a separate voice from yourself. And that's really powerful. It's really, really transformative to be able to do that work. And this entire episode, this entire topic is incredibly transformative. You were touching on this earlier, Jamie. It's it's transformative on a personal level (laughs) to be able to allow ourselves to open ourselves up to more joy, comfort, ease, happiness, connection, all of those good things that we talk about in life. And it's incredibly powerful on a collective right. scale as you were talking about. And I, and not even 
we can take it in like the different like circles. Like it's, it's not even so much like we don't have to go all the way meta quite yet. It will get there eventually too. But it's like when somebody close to you starts actively working with those voices, right. And like allowing more joy and ease into their life, you get to start seeing how that looks and feels for them. And now it's like, it's like you're getting like an, a real life example of what it could be like. And you, it's all, it's like empowering, right? You go, Oh, that's possible. It's possible to restructure my life in a way that allows more comfort, ease and joy. It's possible. I'm seeing this other person do it. Um, and then it allows that curious voice inside of you to get more emboldened and more empowered to explore that. And then that starts to like ripple out. And, you know, as you said, like, this is why, unfortunately, like certain parts of our collective societal structure don't benefit from us becoming more like in tune with that part of ourselves. Like we're supposed to be laborers. We're supposed to be feeling guilty when we rest. Um, Mm. That's that benefits capitalism and that benefits systemic situations that we're all kind of unfortunately like in. And I don't have time to go down that rabbit hole right now, but But, what I wanted to say was even like we're both parents. And even if you're not a parent, we have to understand that like we're all part of this like society and like the norms that we create for the next generation coming up to step into, we can either create norms that are allowing more of that like ease and empowerment and all of that stuff for them to like step into a a normed system that makes that easier for them to access. Or we could sit here and continue to perpetuate this very oppressive, difficult struggle type society and then like leave all that work to them. And not all this type of work can get done in just one generation. I know that it can't, but like we can contribute. And like that's another like huge value system of mine. Like as a parent, I want to make sure that I'm at least in the smallest way possible influencing my kids to connect with their joy and allowing themselves to rest by modeling it for them. Right. And, and letting them know it's possible. I think what's interesting is like I do hear a lot when people use generational, they're like, oh, well, you know, when they talk about the parent thing. But what is so powerful is when you deconstruct relationships, every single person is relating to somebody, to many <laughs> mm-hmm. people. Yep. You either have people who work under you or above you, or you have friends, or you have cousins, or you're a nephew or a niece, or you're an aunt or an uncle, or you have a collective community you're a part of that you participate into and you volunteer or whatever you're doing. Like everyone is entertaining, like some kind of relationship with another person. So when you have a friend that goes, Oh, yeah, I took it easy on Saturday, I took a rest, and I say, Must be nice. I'm contributing to the collective narrative that it is a luxury to take care of my body, Mm. right? Or their body, sorry. But that's why I'm saying it's not just happening in parent-child dynamics. It's happening everywhere. It happens in mom's groups. It happens in men's, like, men's clubs. It's it's like literally, men's clubs. (laughs) It happens in strip clubs, guys. (laughs) Like, Sorry. I meant to say, like, what did I even mean? It's fine. Y'all get it. You know what I mean. You know, men gatherings. <laughs> gatherings of the male folk. Whatever. It doesn't matter. So what I'm saying, Sorry. though, is, okay. what I'm saying, though, is it's not exclusive to just one 
relational dynamic. Yeah. And then what I want to leave you all with is that embodying your joy is revolutionary. It is. It's going to sound dramatic, but it is. Because mm-hmm. what we just tapped into is culturally, <laughs> we are actually either tolerating, perpetuating, or we're actively changing a system, a family, a friendship, a workplace, like wherever we are, one of those roles is happening. So to embody your joy, to embody your ease, to embody your rest, it is an act of revolution because you are actively showing up to the world as I have value. I am worthy. Mm-hmm. And when you actually start believing it, because yes, I know some of y'all might be listening to this and it's like, Jamie, you just said I am worthy. And CA said that doesn't mean anything when you're in the... And I go, yes, we don't have to do the silly mantras in the mirror if you don't want to. But when you actually believe that that worth is there, mm-hmm. massive things start shifting. And that's what I mean. When we actually do this work that we reviewed in this episode and you can start practicing it, it is revolutionary to stand in that power. Absolutely. It is. Joy is incredibly powerful. Mm. It's an incredibly powerful part of our healing, which is why sometimes it's one of the like final frontiers. (laughs) It's like... It's can be easy to like get there, get down to the nitty gritty and be like, oh yeah, let's talk about all the pain, right? Because again, like that stuff's familiar. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a whole new level when you start to unlock layers of joy and ease and accomplishment and like letting yourself actually fully feel free to experience the good parts of life. Right. So that's what we hope for you. And we thank you for listening. And I know this is a, woo, this is a good one. And it was filled with lots of, nuggets for you so hopefully this was helpful guys all right well it'll be our 50th next time so join us next time we'll have to do something special i don't know what we're gonna do but we'll have something cool in store for you guys don't worry all right thank you for listening bye Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollect itself and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work 